Craft Beer Radio, episode 395, on September 18th, 2016. And welcome to Craft Beer Radio. Are we on a roller coaster? Maybe. Maybe it's one of love. Thanks for joining us tonight. We have a special guest. Uh, we have Shane Lohman, who is the owner of Steel City Beer. And the reason we have him on the show is because he just started a new beer wholesale company here in Pittsburgh who is focusing on just bringing in craft beers. And uh, we have tons of questions. We're going to spread them out throughout the show. But say hi. Hi. Hi, everybody. Hey. Glad to be here. Yep. And, uh, yeah, it just seemed, I saw a story about him in the in the article, and he um, previously owned a beer distributor, um, retail establishment here in Pennsylvania that I've gone to. So, uh, yeah, I'm like, that's cool. And uh, Let, let's, to, let's start a beer to get to get it started out, and then we'll uh, we'll talk about absolutely. all this stuff that we have questions about. Definitely. Let's you do wanna, the one from Avery. Yeah. yeah, I was thinking of this, too. So we have uh, Avery sent us the... A presidential pale ale, ale to the chief. Uh, they originally brewed it to celebrate inauguration day, uh, January twentieth of twenty oh nine, but they brewed it again to celebrate. They've, every four years, I guess they're brewing this now. Uh, you'll see it on tap at some places. Uh, style is a pale ale. Hops are Cascade and Bravo. The malts that are used are Two Row, C one twenty, Gambrinus Honey Malt, and Gambrinus Dark Munich. So I expect a. Um, Expect a, a, a multier thing on this eight point one, but they're not calling it an imperial. So I'm guessing. Feel free to jump in uh, if you want. You know, if you're comfortable giving impressions, give impressions. If you're not, just enjoy the beer. But yeah. uh, I mean, Avery's a really good brewery. I enjoy their stuff, yeah. so mm-hmm. I'm excited. So it's got a kind of a toffee-like color. The aroma on it, yeah, it's it. It's not just hops and water, right? It has a fair it, amount of hops and then the, right. the big biscuity or maybe even a caramelly malt type aroma. Which is it. what I was expecting. With C120, mm-hmm. Honey Malt, and Dark Munich, I was expecting yeah, absolutely. Yeah, it to be uh, considerably uh, malty. And at 8.1%, and they're calling it a pale ale, not an imperial, I expect it to be much more on the malty side. The the hop aroma is leaning towards citrus. Uh you probably read the hops off. I wasn't yes, paying I attention. Uh, but I would say that it's probably uh, Centennial and uh, maybe some Citra. Okay. And some Simcoe in there, too, I would guess. Okay. Interesting. Hops are Cascade and Bravo. Nice. Okay. <laughs> it's impressive that he even gives it a shot, though. I'll give him credit for we, that. We actually do okay. Yeah. We've actually gotten better at it. Uh, but... Just doing it on aroma is yeah. tough. Yeah. Yeah, it has a really nice big malt character to it, you know, and it it kind of plays with the hops, gives mm. it. Um, it's pretty bitter. <laughs> the bitter really comes on strong at the end there, um, but the first at the beginning of the sip there, the, the, yeah, the kind of yeah. it kind of makes the um, the orange flavors of the hops kind of seem a little more sweet and almost like a marmalade or something like that. Yeah, it starts out almost pie crust like in terms of its um, in terms of malt definition, and then the bitterness hits him. So you get a kind of like apricot going into um, you know orange pith, and I guess you you end up uh, you end up with it with a bitter lacing and, and it, you know some some sweetness on the outside and sort of a bitter lacing in the center. It's bitter in case Trump wins, I think. 
Well, remember, this is 2009, so right. originally brewed. Right. Um, I think the, the, the marketing speak says no matter who wins, right. you can celebrate or commiserate or something like that. <laughs> so, Shane, what do you think of the beer? It's good. It's got some nice malt to it for a pale ale. It's got a lot of complexity. Mm-hmm. I'm really impressed sitting oh. back here and, and watching I like you your, guys break this yeah. down. Well, thank you. Excuse me. I like your apricot call, right? And especially like, like if you think like an apricot Danish or something like that, mm-hmm. you know, that really brings a lot of those flavors yeah. uh, into this beer. That's it, it, sort of when it when it hits over, it goes over its bitter hump and it starts to get more towards the bitter side. That's where this, the apricot mm-hmm. is really coming out. Yeah, the more I drink it, the the bitterness isn't as ravaging. You know, mm-hmm. like that first sip is like, whoa, that's a big bitter yeah. beer. Uh, as I drink it, the maltiness and the sweetness is kind of counteracting it, so it, it doesn't seem like it's just. Uh, super strongly bitter. So Shane, you started out owning a beer, what we call in Pittsburgh, a beer distributor in Pennsylvania, a beer distributor. Correct. But which is uh, what other people might call just a beer store. Mm-hmm. Uh, in the, the law in Pennsylvania is suitably archaic for the Keystone <laughs> State, where you have to buy, and, and one for, for a while you had to buy cases of yeah. beer uh, if you didn't buy it from a, a tavern, for some beta tavern license, uh, in which case they would mark it up by 50%. Right. Uh, now you can buy it in 12 packs, and some cases, six packs if you have food on premises, I believe. Uh, I know well, you can buy an eight pack of 16 ounce, okay. which would become right. really popular. So th- these beer distributors have a bunch of, like, Shane, when he owned the place, and now your father, yeah. can't sell lemons to go with the Corona. Mm-hmm. Right. He's not allowed to sell, like, fresh fruit. <laughs> right. right. But we can Things. sell Christmas trees, though. So Interesting. That's a nice... Right. So, I mean, it's all <laughs> kinds of goofy laws. Right. Um, do, you sell, do you sell, like, ping pongs and stuff like that? Uh, yeah, we have yeah. That we can do. We never, we never ventured into Christmas trees. We didn't have the space. Uh, <laughs> but we can give away limes, I think. We've okay. done that. Which okay. Which is kind of nice, but we can't sell them. Yeah. I see. Very weird laws. Yeah. So, uh, up in, you know, traditionally, from way back in 1933 until a couple of years ago, he could not sell quantities smaller than 24 bottles of beer. It's measured in ounces, so the format changes the number of containers, but Correct. that kind of thing. And then places like grocery stores started getting licenses that allow them to sell, like the tavern rules, where they could sell up to a 12 pack to go, which is convenient for the consumer. Not so good for all these places that have the beer distributors. So they were able to get the law changed so they can sell 12 packs. So now they're on a more equal footing. And your hours have expanded over the years. You used to not be able to be open on Sunday and things like that. Correct. So how have you noticed? And how long were you? did you own the store? Oh, we opened in November of 2011. So four okay. years, four and a half years. So midway through, like, craft beer's... Rise essentially, or, or you, you've been catching the the long tail. Yeah, yeah. I th- yeah. I mean, craft beer definitely become popular, but I think it was at the point where we started to realize that it wasn't going to be a fad. Mm-hmm. So, mm-hmm. what what kind of margin? I mean, margin is not the right word. What kind of a percentage of craft beer versus just sort of macro lager were you were you getting? Um, maybe thirty percent craft. I don't know. It might have been a little higher because we were in Wexford, but we did yeah. I mean, they have a crafts. pretty good location. Yeah, you know, the right across the street from Sorgo's Orchards. So, uh, it's a lot of organic food okay. type people <laughs> yeah. go to sorbels, right? We're so, right off the exit too, yeah. which is good. High okay. So it's like a Whole Foods. It, it's well, it's a mom and pop like orchard farm. farm market, okay. Yeah, right? Okay. So you know they have a more affluent clientele, and mm-hmm. there's going to be some bleed. So he has a great location for for 
the kind of traffic that would be higher into craft than than an average beer distributor. It's not just fluid and craft beer. It's also being affluent as well because craft beer is obviously more expensive right. than, uh, than the normal stuff. Um, I shouldn't say the normal stuff. I should say the macro <laughs> stuff. The but, but not all of it, right? I mean, like even Budweiser is pretty expensive. Um, yeah, I mean, I, I believe they didn't raise this year, which usually they're kind of the leader in that. If they raise, the other macros kind of raise with them. But I think you're looking, if it's not on sale, probably 25 bucks for a 30-pack. So it's not cheap. Yeah. It's, it's, mm-hmm. it's going to be interesting to see where it goes in the next four or five years because they're slowly kind of closing the gap, even though crafts go up a little bit. I mean, 25 bucks for a Bud 30-pack is pretty... Right. You know. Yeah, I guess you was it like Keystone Light or something is around seventeen or sixteen bucks or something. So. Yeah, I mean even those are like seventeen ninety nine. Yeah. You know, it's getting up there. Mm-hmm. You know, so it'll be interesting right. to see where it goes in the next few years. There's also weird. There's a lot of weird Pennsylvania laws. We've talked about them before. Amongst them, the the Jonestown, the Jonestown, not Jonestown, Jonestown, Jonestown. Jonestown flood tax, which mm-hmm. has never been rescinded. Yep. Uh, <laughs> even though that happened, what in the and the 60s? money goes right into the general fund, right? right. So it, yeah. the name is the only Roman thing right. remaining. Uh, there's also um, there are weird rules about uh, bringing alcohol into the state. You can only do it if you have a license; otherwise, you're it's technically illegal. Correct. <laughs> so just crossing the border with some alcohol. A lot of criminals out there. A lot. A lot. Especially, especially in the Philly the area. Right? Yeah. I mean, just watch Lou yeah. Bryson's blog, you know, yeah. the, the PLCB should be abolished blog. I remember Lou uh, called them up, called up the PL, PC, what's PL, it? PLCB yeah. to determine if there was a way that he could do it legally. So, like, I'm going, I want to register that I'm bringing these beers across the border. And, and pay tax on and them. And pay tax on them. And they said no. Yeah. I, it's interesting. I've called the LCB before and asked them a question regarding their laws. And a lot of times they don't know. And they ask you to read, you know, a 40-page release. I, I had to do that once. I wanted to serve homebrew at my sister-in-law's wedding. Yeah. And the reception hall guy said, you know, you need to go clear this with the LCB. But the number he gave me was the state police enforcement. Right. Like the liquor enforcement. So, you know, it's not even the LCB, right? right. It's, uh, it's Which Pennsylvania a lot of people state don't police. know. They have their own enforcement arm. Like they're legitimate state cops that come around. and Yeah, liquor enforcement. Right. And then, so wow. then he gave me the LCB, and then I had to send a request for their, you know, an opinion to be written by one of their lawyers, you know, which was a homebrew. So what I ended up doing was Scott from East End gave me a keg sticker for Petal Pale Ale. I slapped that on the keg. (laughs) That's that's a pretty good idea. I like that. uh, We had our own types with the LCB, just red tape for getting a license and everything. And Mm -hmm. I think it's just par for the course at this point. I hope that's not illegal handing out a keg sticker like uh you know handing out like inspection stickers or something like that oh they're definitely coming after you now <laughs> i'm worried about scott not me uh, there's probably a statute of limitations it's uh it's, well yeah i think i think you're fine yeah i hope so <laughs> <laughs> um so you were doing that for a while and uh when did you stop so this idea came to us about first of the year this year so Right after that, I think we started to... Yeah, so state law doesn't allow him to own both Mm -hmm. a distributor and a wholesaler. So now you own a wholesaler, which is what most people would consider a beer distributor. Right. (laughs) So you are the... uh, You are essentially the the go-between between between the beer... uh, The the brewers themselves and the 
stores. Correct. Yeah, so I mean, we've uh, we go out, talk to breweries, and we've really made an effort by being an independent craft wholesaler to really, you know, not only connect with the breweries, but you know, take care of their product the way it, it should be, and, and give them an opportunity not to be hidden behind some macro brands and not get the mm-hmm. attention they deserve. And yeah, it's been fun so far. Right. Yeah. What was your uh, philosophy for uh, the brands that you um, decided to launch with, or the one of the first first ones you tried to get when you went into business? I just wanted quality beer, really good product that was going to sell itself. Because I I know that I knew that we could bring, and we are bringing great service to the table. So if we could have great service and great products, mm-hmm. you know, we'd be golden. And uh, we've been pretty selective in who we bring in and who we want to bring in. And we've had some offers from breweries to come in that we, you know, turned right. down. So it sounds like you want the well, you said the beer to sell itself. So you don't have to have people out there handing out swag to get beer on tap. You want bar owners to want the beer right that, i mean we do we do have a promotional effort we do taste things mm-hmm. we do events we do hand out swag but at the same time i don't want it to be when i'm walking into a bar or a store where's my case of glasses right or just feel like you know that they're getting beer shoved down their throat because i need to make a number or it's beer mm-hmm. of the month you should right. just want it because it's going to sell and right you know. i mean that that sounds i mean for us beer lovers i mean yeah. that sounds the thing so, so uh let well, people well hold on speaking okay. of swag we should probably uh you brought us some <laughs> some beer uh and we we are having one of those uh tonight and we should probably uh, open that up now this is All the right. pizza boy front side lip side double ipa which you said was uh canned thursday thursday yeah so fresh 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 and on that point a lot of the things that we've done the little things like we went out to pizza boy helped them can Brought it back that day in a truck, handed it out to accounts, so they got same day beer, and it's not a one time thing. It's something that we hope to continue to okay. do. Excellent. Twice now, uh, Boston Beer has overnighted us like fresh cans of uh, the Rebel Raw. How is it? It's good. It's I mean, good. It, it's you know the the can color. It seems like they're definitely going after you know something that looks and behaves like Hetty Topper. You know, silver and black can, yeah. super hoppy, super fresh. But when they do their marketing things out, they put it in a, a silver bag with ice packs, and they overnight it to you. So, like, canned on Thursday, drank on Saturday type thing. And so, just like this beer. This yeah, beer is yeah. as fresh as, yeah. <laughs> as yeah. that. So, I don't know. It's a few days old. I think the hops might be starting to fall. <laughs> big... Uh, big, it, sounds, it smells like Simcoe. Uh, kick on there. Yeah, it's a blend of tropical and dank, I think, right? There's a little bit of kind of passion fruit on there, but then there's something that's kind of a little bit more... Okay, um, yeah. Citra and Simcoe. Citra and Simcoe. Okay. And then, yeah, there's something that's like pretty much, you know, idealistic Simcoe, right? Where it's a little dank and a little bit stinky. Uh, 10% alcohol by volume. Yeah, so. we'll get you. Yeah. <laughs> golden, golden color on this guy. Yeah, that's a great hop aroma. And the hops are dominating the nose. Yeah. I mean, maybe just a little bit of um, kind of uh, biscuity malt in there, but really not much. <clears throat> not too uh, what we call Doherty yet. <laughs> <laughs> we got, so um, we made up our own word, hop aroma. It's kind of an inside thing for the listeners, but we got tired of saying cat pee on the show. Yeah, I could see that. Yeah. So, <laughs> so Dord is our code word for those biological like type uh, aromas. I think watching you guys taste beer was worth coming up here alone. 
All right. Oh, yeah. So you might have seen me do this, right? Tilt the glass over and yeah. turn it. It coats the glass, right? Get, open, up the, open up the aroma. You'll never guess who taught us that trick. Anheuser-Busch. Really? Yes. We yeah, were, they know a couple things. We were in St. Louis. Oh, they definitely do. We were doing... They, you know, they taste the... Well, like, they have such great palates for defect, tasting any tiny defect in the run of Budweiser. Mm-hmm. And they, they really do quality control. They, they air freight samples from all the breweries to St. Louis and all this stuff. But one of the things, that's how they opened up the aroma on the beer. And it's a great trick. So for people listening who haven't heard me say this, we've said it a bunch, I'm cupping the snifter in my hand until the beer is about an inch from spilling out the top, right? So the glass is angled. And then I just rotate the glass with my other hand. So all that other surface area gets opened up. And it just, you know, explodes the aroma on the beer. So go ahead and give it a try, Shane. And you'll... I'm probably going to get some slack for this, but there are some things that Budweiser does well. I mean, I'm not... Oh, but... we, you know, we've done... Uh, we, we've gone out there on Budweiser's Dime a couple times, and we've talked to them, and, and we're very impressed with their knowledge, always, and, uh, and their operations. Uh, just typically not their beers. Right. Well, they're, I think the main thing that impresses me is their ability to get that consistent of a product out yeah. on that mass of a scale. Absolutely. You know, and it, I mean, it's not craft beer, but it's still beer. I mean, yeah, I mean, we've met passionate people. We've met smart people. Something the way the, the businesses run at that scale, it seems the passion doesn't make it out the front door in the way that craft brewers put it out the front door. I don't know how yeah, to really quantify yeah. it. Right? right. And, but the people back in the brewery, I mean, they are passionate about what they do yeah. and they make good, Beer pilot batches of good beer, but right. for some reason the process doesn't allow it to come out the front. That's interesting. We had to visit their um, uh, yeah, their their pilot brewery where they train all their brewers on that, and they yeah. and they have them not just do Budweiser; they they have them do you know ten percent stouts and all types of crazy. There stuff. There was a fermenter that was fermenting something with Orval yeast. They wouldn't let us drink from the fermenter, though. I wouldn't yeah. taste that so badly. You know, you think they'd market that more? That they, I mean, that's not. I mean, it, that's it, not it, their it, business. It really I isn't their business model. Yeah. And so it's yeah, it, them and, buying up. And now that they're, um, you know, Imbev and all that. Like right. when they were just Anheuser Busch, we went to uh, two trips. You know, press junket type things. Yeah, uh, Wyoming for their three um, trips. Three. Yeah, we did. The St. Louis one was after the purchase, though, right? Was it? I think so. Anyway, we went to yeah, Idaho for the hops, went to Wyoming for barley, and then went to St. Louis, and it was yeast. They let us go into the yeast lab. We saw the cryogenic chambers and everything. Wow. And, uh, like, lock and key type stuff. It was really crazy. Mm-hmm. That's interesting. It was very, I mean, like I said, very, very impressive operation, and uh, and very knowledgeable people, very nice people. Uh, and there there is something about... You can actually detect like a slight bit of hoppiness in a very, very fresh Budweiser, very, very <laughs> yeah, fresh. Yeah. But um, it's still not like we, we didn't ever support the beer themselves. Actually, we supported like they're still they're, they're knowledgeable. They in industry, they're knowledgeable about what they're doing. From a business they aspect, they're doing. yeah, their business yeah. aspect is is terrific, and yeah. and some of the knowledge they've given us. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah, so let's talk about the pizza boy, the front side, lip side before it's gone. My glass is getting empty <laughs> quickly because this is delicious. It's it's just a big hop bomb. How do you like the Simcoe? Greg is pretty sensitive to those more mm-hmm. sulfury, oniony type flavors yeah. that Simcoe can deliver. It's it, it, it strikes me as very phase two IPA, but but uh, one of the better ones because it's brighter than than normal. I don't have a, I don't taste so, a lot of the sulfury oniony notes. The, the phases is another um, 
in time. Crafty Radio shorthand. Okay. Where we call phase one the traditional C hubs, Centennial, Cascade. Mm-hmm. Phase two are things like Simcoe, Amarillo, Tomahawk. Citra. Uh, Citra is kind of a border one, but yeah, late phase two. And then phase three are the tropicals, the mosaics, the galaxies, okay. things like that. So it's kind of shorthand. We say phase two, it's that Simcoe, Amarillo, where phase one is kind of the classic, you know, like orangey, it. piney. Yeah, the <laughs> Sierra Nevada, you know, that kind of right. thing. Right. Uh, and this is just sort of a trajectory of, of hops that we've noticed and sort of cataloged. It's the trajectory of, of the popularity of the certain IPA styles. And, you know, we a lot of us got into beer because of IPAs or because of IPA-adjacent beers. Uh, and we then noticed ourselves losing interest in IPAs and gaining interest in more stuff. And then... Just very recently, within the past couple of years, we started to really come jump back oh, into yeah. it. I mean, there's been so much innovation in yeah. the style. Right. You know, for the longest time, you know, like first, like most IBUs, I want to rip my face off. Yeah. I want to lose the enamel of my teeth. <laughs> and then, you know, our palates were expanded and we're drinking Dortmunders and enjoying, like, you know, fine European lagers. And like, oh, I'm done with the IPA, you know, craze. And then, you know, the last couple of years, because there's been so much amazing innovation in, the, in what people are doing with hops that, you know, I'm a hophead again, you know, yeah. I can't get enough. It's interesting. I could kind of see sours going the same way. I feel yeah. like when I started, mm-hmm. first started drinking sours, it was trying to burn my tongue off. Mm-hmm. And now even, especially with the Gozas, they're starting yeah. to come into, that they're a little bit more mellow and there's more. Oh, yeah. And I think it's a good, like IPAs are a good entryway into, into craft beer. I think my dad drank Budweiser for 40 years. And once I got into the business, I think 60 Minute and Headhunter were his first two. Nice. Ah. His first two big ones. Nice. Those so. are, those are, yeah, 60 Minute is, it, it, it's not as deep as, as you remember because when, when you first have it, you're like, whoa, but then yeah, you, right. you come, back, come back later and you're like, okay, there's, this is considerably mellow compared to what right. used to. Headhunter, though, is fantastic. So you brought this back. How much uh, frontside lipside is there in town? So there were 50 cases. They, we brought it back Thursday night, got a few cases to a few accounts day of, and by about 11 a.m. the next morning, it was gone. So right. I believe Save More has some more. It's I know Whole Foods sold out in like, a day so it was a really good response yeah i, I mean if it. people people in the area and probably most people have heard of pizza boy they have a reputation they've made some great beer they've won awards um what can you tell us about like how long they've been making beer how big they are how widely available they are things like so that. they're available and i know they're distributed in brooklyn and philadelphia as well as pittsburgh um hopefully the canning is going to become more and more frequent uh, it's a pretty small facility. I mean, they're limited by space. Is really their big limitation. Mm-hmm. I think they might have eight tanks. Um, they bought a kind of warehouse across the street from their main facility. They're doing a lot more in sours uh, and barrel-aged stuff, okay. which is going to be really good. I know Permasmile's been – we've had that out here a little bit. Um, so I think they're really good at that stuff. We had at the Big Poor, we had Yellow Breaches Creek from 2014. That was Asian barrels. It was really good. But in terms of their more consistent stuff, I believe they're going to put in a canning line. Right now, they're mobile canning. Mm-hmm. I think in the next 9 to 12 months, they're going to expand their building a little bit and put in a, a canning line. So hopefully, we'll start to see some more consistent cans out here because the response has been really good. So Yeah, I mean, uh, everything I've had from Pizza Boy. And when I went there all the way back from CBC, I tried as much as I possibly could. <laughs> that's their facility. When you go in yeah. there to eat pizza, that's their facility. Yep. So it's shockingly small but they put out an incredible amount out of there, and it's it's really high quality. Mm-hmm. Absolutely, thank you. Yeah. So you've been, you said like you've been started in 2011. So you 
you were already in the midst of the the canning sort of revolution in in craft beer, right? Because you know when we started twenty oh five, there was yeah. So tales. great story. We're, we're, this show's going to run long just because we're filling Shin in on yeah. all, all the <laughs> all great the stories that we've had. But when Dale's Pale Ale first came to market, mm-hmm. right? We've heard about it like, oh, craft beer in cans sounds interesting. I want to try that. I know, and I was, you know, I understood the merits of craft beer in cans. We're D's, Greg and I, looking through the beer cave, and I didn't see it, right? Because I had this bias against cans. If my, I saw the outline of a can, I just jumped onto the next beer, right? And then right. Greg's like, oh, here, there, there's Dale's Pale Ale. I'm like, <laughs> where's Dale's Pale Ale? So, you know, we had it. and But so even me who wanted to try a canned craft beer and wanted to try Dale's Pale Ale didn't see it because, you know, that was... What year was that? That was 2008 or yeah. 2007 or something like yeah. that. I don't think that that bias is very present anymore. But Oh, not at all. No, everyone is using cans now. Yeah, I think it yeah. was a slow erosion to try and get kind of mm-hmm. turn that corner, but yeah. it seems to be the hot thing and then some. Oh, absolutely. And I, I actually see people preferring cans. You know, I mean, I think that we're, I think, like, I, I, well, I don't want to put words in your mouth. Do you still see any bias towards bottles? Like, or, think, or does your dad... At the retail level, still see bias towards bottles. Um, I'm. I think cans have turned the corner. I think they're really becoming more mainstream. That it's, it's not as much of a oh they're in cans now. Like it's just mm-hmm. people are you know you go in to see can and you don't think twice about it. Right. Right. Um, even with like barley bells. wines or imperial stouts. Like, yeah. Even like East End, the gratitude was in cans. I think this yeah. year. I mean, that's, the, the barrel aged gratitude was in cans. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Which I mean, at that point, it's pretty much turned the corner. So, I'm. I, Personally, I love cans. I, I got some of that. I'm gonna I'm gonna sell it for you know a bunch of time because I've, yeah. I've never sellered uh, a can. You know, even though 1050 is not really a live. I mean, that'd be a, a candidate, but it's filtered, right? So right. it's not really a live beer. Right. So it's not really ideal for 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 conditioning. But now that I had some barrel aged gratitude. Is anybody using a steel can like Sapporo? No, that I don't think. I don't know. I think, I think you could think probably so. you could probably put a Belgian in in there, right? If you have a steel can, it's, it it might be strong enough. It's, it's hard to say. I, it's a good point, though, because I've seen, you know, mobile canning where the, the pressures won't right and the, the seams have popped, right? And the right. tops have, have kind of cracked. Had that happen a couple of years ago on the way back from the Homebrewers Conference out in Philly. And it had a couple of cans of beer in my computer backpack and the seams oh, popped ouch. on the way home. Didn't ruin the computer, but I was not happy about it. Um, said some very mean things on Twitter and then I met the guy the other day he's a nice guy or you know a couple months <laughs> oh, later and he's a really I've nice guy there. so yeah. so there. I know I've been a lot that, that was probably one of the last times I said some really mean things on Twitter um, but uh, oh aging in cans yeah I'm looking forward to that Get you know building a cellar mm-hmm. of cans and seeing how they age yeah. compared to corked bottles or wax bottles and things like that having said that I think there's still a good place for a nice bomber oh not, sure not in the mainstream necessarily every sure. day but one thing that's nice about bombers is you can cap them. Uh, we have these uh, these xylus cappers. Xylus cappers. They work great for resealing bombers. That's, I've never seen one of these before. This is awesome. Here, go ahead and stick it in the end of the chief and close it off, and it holds the pressure. And this is turning into like crappy radio one on one. I'm sorry for everyone no, no, who's listening. Fine. <laughs> everyone who's listening, actually. But I mean, so we. With that, so that beer has a lot of headspace in it, right? So yeah. I wouldn't want to sell her that one or recap it. I'd want to drink that in a day or two. Yeah. But there's been ones where the beer has been mostly full, and then I've kept it, you know, with a xylus cap for two weeks and gone back to it, and it's been fun. Wow. So I'll have to snag one of those. That's impressive because that's kind of like a big thing in wine too, which is yep. I think 
I've talked to a lot of breweries that do the high-end bombers, and they almost rather you treat it like a bottle of wine. Like, you sit down and you Absolutely. enjoy yeah, that yeah. bottle. Absolutely. Well, you see how warm we're drinking these beers and, and how warm they're going to get, especially by the time we get to some of these. So we like we, we even have the IR thermometer there yeah. to kind of see how uh, what the temperature is. Because we like to recommend, oh, this beer is good at, you know, as warm as 60 degrees, that kind of thing. So. 60 is where we, we like to do i mean first of all we, we um, talked about this all the time but we like these glasses these are our preferred tasting glasses because we think that we get a better uh a better experience but also we while we acknowledge i think that uh, you generally gonna drink beer colder 50 60 degrees we think that it well, really opens up a lot of things i think that's too. another uh, corner that's being turned is that yeah. people realize it doesn't have to be 35 degrees mm-hmm. to drink right. it and be good you get a lot more of the flavor well, we also, you know, we're doing hardcore analysis here, so right. it's not really drinking at the bar. It's impressive, though. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you. Let's go into the Jack's Abbey. Okay. You, you picked this one up, right? Um, I believe so. Yeah, I think so. This is Hoponius Union from Jack's Abbey. They call it an India Pale Lager, one of these IPLs. 65 IBU, 6.5% alcohol by volume. I'm looking forward to this. Is, I've heard a lot about Jack's Abbey. This is actually the first Jack's Abbey beer I'll try. I'm glad I can provide it to you. I think, uh, you know what, I may have had it like at a okay, beer fest so or something is... before, but I don't have a clear recollection of Jack's Abbey. So it, it'll really be the first time that I've actually sat down and thought. So they're calling it India Pale Lager. It sounds like they're doing it. It's basically an IPA that's lagered. So okay. they're, they're fermenting it uh, cold and aging it for extended periods, but it's using an ale yeast. And we should mention that they are a Trappist brewery. Really? They are, huh? Yeah, it's uh, Jack's Abbey is the, the, the um, American Trappist brewery. Trappist monks making beer. That's the Trappist logo there on the, on the back here. Yep. Do you think that's why they didn't email me back? <laughs> uh, they might not have email. They might have, be have someone, they say, might have yeah. someone scribing it. And now, you know, in like two yeah, years, you're going to reply. Now I have to drive there. <laughs> <laughs> Interesting. So the let's see, it's kind of a golden straw color. I think that drives that point home. By the way, when a trap is breweries in cans, yes, kind of <laughs> yeah. yeah, that's a very good point. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> that, that's the truth right there. Now I'm googling really quickly just to make sure they're a Trappist brewery because I don't want to get hate mail. Oh, we're too far down that road now. So the aroma on this, I mean, we just came off that um, front side, lip side. So this beer is definitely not as hoppy. So it's going to take a little bit to calibrate here. You're shaking, Greg's shaking his head. Oh, no. I'm wrong or the beer is upsetting you? No, I, you're wrong. I'm wrong. Who's the <laughs> Trappist? not Trappist? Who's no. the Trappist in America? Oh, God. Who's the Trappist then? I felt a lot better about them not getting back to me when they were Trappist. <laughs> Unless they're just they. They're oh, not. Spencer! That's uh, Jack Spencer. Guy's name, so confusing. Oh, I'm an idiot. I didn't think that was yeah. Spencer Brewery. I didn't think they would be in Massachusetts, right? Those but no, guys Spencer Brewery like Trappist monks. Yeah, <laughs> Spencer's in Massachusetts, so that's okay. That's why I got confused. Hopefully, people let it slide. I apologize. <laughs> I'm glad you made the first mistake. <laughs> 
Yeah, so I got this in, in uh, Massachusetts uh, while I was up there. This is, say on the can, Wicked Hoppy <laughs> and uh, Tropical Citrus Aroma. Wicked Hoppy. I like it. For how drinkable it is, it's got some really nice flavor. We did get some corrections emails this week, which we probably should mention oh. real briefly. Uh, I had a listener, Stephen, wrote in, and he mentioned uh, we were using shorthand about the Anheuser-Busch DOJ thing. Yes. Saying they couldn't buy any more breweries. If they pass DOJ approval, they can buy more breweries. That's a huge... I meant to respond to that. It's a huge, lengthy process. He said that that can definitely happen. It can. It will. It could take years or at least months for that to go through, and they're unlikely to do that because of the amount of expense that it would take. It essentially would be, for the price of one of these breweries, it would be essentially double. You're doubling the price in terms of the time and lawyers you would pay. So they can't buy another brewery? It's really, it would be really expensive and really inefficient for them to do that. So that's on hold, all their breweries? For, for at least 10, for 10 years. Like all the craft acquisitions? Yeah. Uh, yeah. Wow. It has, has passed DOJ approval now. Wow. Yeah. That's interesting. That was part of what they had to do in order to get the approval to to merge with uh, um, uh, Miller Coors. Miller, yeah. Was yeah. It Miller Coors? Yeah, Miller Coors, yeah. right. Um, and also dump the Miller brands at the same time. Mm-hmm. So. Was it Miller Coors? Was it... Um, yeah, it was Miller, I thought Miller, Miller Coors was like the U.S. version of. I, 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 it's a lot of, a lot of weird. Uh, Let's talk about the not Travis Jacks yes, Abbey. Yes, made by people with email. Haponius Union. Uh, it's it's interesting. It, it's a, it, it's coming off a little astringent to me. Um, it has sort of a grapefruit quality. Yeah, lots of grapefruit, uh, more malty than I would expect out of a out of a lager. So I'm not really getting um, a lot of the lager stuff out of it. I'm, I'm getting more of a pale ale. Yeah, I mean, I think there's kind of um, the yeast is pretty clean, right? I mean, so you yeah. know the the esters that kind of fill out that IPA, you're kind of not getting, and it's kind of cleanness there. But I mean, there is, you know, um, kind of a a little bit of graham cracker, you know, there's kind of a caramelly type malt flavor to it. So it also like IPLs, granted it's not a well-established style, but when mm-hmm. I think of an IPL, I think of something that has a little bit more um, Pilsner type malting to it, you know, uh, malt, malt build to it instead of, you know, more of like a an IPA fermented with lager yeast. And uh, but this one is kind of like that. So it, and we it's were drinking at ideal temperatures. It's about yeah. sixty degrees in, in, in my glass. So uh, you know, the, registering sixty four on the infrared, we usually drop about five for what's going on in the. That's just surface temperature. So okay. usually it's about five in the beer. Um, so it's about sixty degrees, which is probably a little bit warm for for this particular style. Uh, but like I said, I think that's why I'm pulling out a little bit of uh, extra kind of astringency on the bitterness, which I. I um, wouldn't have normally pulled out, I think, if I drank this colder. Yeah, there's a little bit of like grapefruit pith mm-hmm. coming in through in there. The um, hops are really the main flavor as I drink it. There's a little bit of caramel, but I mean, as I kind of finished my sample, hops came back strong. Mm-hmm. Grapefruity, a um, little bit of that uh, sulfuriness, you know. I wouldn't say oniony this time. It doesn't no, have no, that much not, sulfuriness to it. There's a little bit of sulfuriness to it. It's still phase two-ish in terms of its mm-hmm. definition of, of hop uh, character, but it's um, it, it's decent. I, I, th- yeah, I think drink this colder than 
than what we drink it at. And I think it would go down really smooth and easy at that temperature. How did you guys get to this point of being able to taste beer? Uh... Well, like almost 12 years year, of practice. Yeah, yeah, 12 years of doing the show, basically. Yeah, so I mean, I'm only 27, so I haven't had that much practice. I've had a lot, but not this level. It's, um, you know, we've, so this is our 395th show, mm-hmm. uh, not counting any extras that we've done. So we've spent a lot of time describing beer and describing the taste. One thing we beer. recommend is, I mean, maybe not start your own podcast, but have someone where you're bouncing ideas off of. See what works. See what doesn't work. Yeah. You know, we have a pretty wide vocabulary of terms we use. Sure, we go back to proven terms, proven adjectives a lot. But, you know, there'll be times where we'll pull out something that's just off the wall and see what kind of reaction you get from the other person. Or make up your own. Yeah. Absolutely. <laughs> exactly. He's, he's paying attention. Um, yeah, but yeah, I mean... This is the product of almost 12 years of doing this almost every week. I like it. It's impressive. All right. So this one is the St. Boniface. St. Boniface. This is... hmm, I'm going to say... Paideia? Paideia? Is Greek, so I'm not sure exactly how the pronunciation would work on this one. Okay. Uh, like, if it was Spanish, it would be paella or paella. But I'm not sure how it quite works this. But uh, it's a Greek word for development of the perfectly well-rounded citizen. This is a pale L. P-A-I-D-E-A-I. So I'm getting from this that they expect this to be a very well-rounded pale ale. 5% uh, alcohol volume, only citra hops. Uh, and they say a blend of malts. I might have to catch that as a new nickname, well-rounded citizen. <laughs> right, the beer pours. I'm a well-rounded. <laughs> That's 12 years of practice. Yes. <laughs> uh, beer pours kind of a um, golden bronze. It's a lot darker than yeah. you'd expect from, you know, run, like the center line of pale ale coloring. The aroma is... This is the lowest alcohol beer we've had tonight, actually. Okay. What's it at? Five. Oh, Only wow. Five. So many people call this a session pale ale. Yeah. That's a weird... <laughs> that's a weird trend. We've talked about this... I can get onto a, a, a rant about what session now means versus what it used to mean. Pretty interesting aroma, right? Because it, it has a big Simcoe blast to it. But then the malt plays through it and it makes it a lot sweeter. And I'm like, it made me think of cotton candy for a second there. I find it interesting you're getting Simcoe on this. Are you sure it's Simcoe? That's, that's what I would peg it at. Taste it before you make that call. Does he not know what it is? Is he going to be wrong again? Well, I, I mentioned the, the I hop. But I, I, I'm busy pouring. I'm busy <laughs> pouring. So <laughs> only my subconscious knows what Greg yeah. said. My subconscious is yelling at me like everyone else. Hmm, very different on the flavor. Yeah, that that ain't Simcoe. Hmm. So, it has more of this, like, irony, steel-type flavor to it. Like, it has this, like, metally like, sharpness to it. Interesting. And maybe that's the way the malts are played out. You know, it's almost a bit like... uh, let me take another sip. Now, this taste, I think it does 
it does qualify to me as the hop that they said it is. Uh, I'm, but I'm, I'm going to quiz you. <laughs> that I'm, there's just, this, there's just kind of this. This is a, a fun thing that just popped up right now. Sure, so I'm gonna, sure, sure. So as I'm drinking it, the 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 there's this sweet thing that is kind of like a hop sweetness, you know, from like a saturated hop, then more from a malt. It's it's kind of this bubblegum or banana thing, but I mean, not in the Hefeweizen way, but more of I don't know. I don't know. I, I I hear the words I'm saying, and I'm like, how does that make sense? Would you like a hint? Sure. The hop begins with C. Begins with C. I got nothing. To me, it. Uh, I don't know. Let's not play this game anymore. <laughs> <laughs> this is Citra. Citra. Hmm. If you, I think if you give another taste and think Citra, you'll see it. Yeah, I guess. I guess, you know, those mass Citra dosages that get a little oniony or something like that. I it, guess it's kind of in it there. It can get a little sulfury. I think if you if you go high on the Citra, if, you, if this is single hoppy with just Citra. So you get, yeah, you get different dimensions when you do things like that and, and, and okay. don't, uh, don't play around with mixing the, the hops together. But... I definitely think it, you know, it It has some... I, I like how the, the maltiness qualities. really balances this yeah. beer out. It makes it really drinkable. Kind of gives it a little bit of... I know I used orange marmalade before, but I want to come back to it. It kind of has that little bit of like a jelly-type character to it. Gives it a nice finishing sweetness. You mentioned like a metallic thing. When, uh, I, was, when I was digging into it... Um, a couple steps. I didn't notice it towards the end, but it was kind of like an iron or blood type flavor. I was getting a little That's bit. That's always of. good. <laughs> I the, the only thing that that conjured up in my mind was was sort of grinding grains and sort of so I got kind mm-hmm. of a, a somewhat oaty quality. Yeah, from, I was kind of thinking the, oats a little bit as well yeah. too. Just in terms of the, the, the malt is coming through, and they don't tell me they say a blend of malts. I'm not sure what what's in here, but there could be some oats in here. It's possible. I don't taste any slickness, which I would normally get from oats. Mm-hmm. Um, but and it's it's even possible there's some rye in there because there could be some spiciness. Oh, you know what? I think rye makes some sense. Yeah, I do get some of the Hefeweizen characteristics do you? out of it. Good. Yeah, yeah, I'm not crazy. <laughs> well, you might be, but not. <laughs> yeah, well, you you guys are just both crazy. That's fine. So what? Give me a list of the brands that you currently represent. So we have uh, Pizza Boy, Knee Deep, which doesn't really have the brand awareness out here, but makes some really incredible hoppy stuff. Uh, Evil Twin, uh, Stillwater Artisanal, Off Color, Against the Grain. We have Tilquin, which has been a big hit. Only comes out twice a year, but it's been a big hit. Okay. Um, that's kind of the main lineup there. We get some stuff sprinkled in sometimes, depending on what we want to order. But uh, those are the main, the main ones. Like we're trying to keep a selectively small profile, right? Do you have? And this might be, you know, secret. No, no, I do but, have a, I do have a wish list. Uh, well, not wish list. Um, <laughs> how how many brands do you think is an ideal number? Like, That's if, if you don't want to share it, but like, how many brands are you like aiming for? Like, I don't, uh, no, I don't mind. Yeah. I don't think there's a number that we're aiming for. I just think that we want to. I never want to get to the point where right, I guess not brands, just. Uh, breweries yeah no i mean i never want to get to the point where 
breweries that are currently getting the attention they deserve don't get that attention. Mm-hmm. I think that was a big thing with Pizza Boy. They took a big leap of faith on us because we hadn't sold a beer yet when they mm-hmm. signed up with us. And same with Evil Twin and Knee Deep. So I think they're doing well in this market because they're getting a lot of push and being treated like blue chip prospects like they should mm-hmm. be. And right. uh, I, I'd never want to compromise that for the brands we currently have or anyone that we brought in. Uh, there's a lot of good beer in this market that I don't. I think it's lost in the shuffle and doesn't get the representation it deserves. So I never want to let that happen. So I don't think there's a specific number. But. Right. Okay. Now, there's a, there's a healthy debate in, in the community. I, I'd say it tends to be more one-sided uh, about um, the money aspect of, of craft beer, about the purchasing mm-hmm. of, of, of craft beer by uh, either other you know, larger breweries like uh, AB and Bev or now since they can't do it so much, you know, there's still Heineken and, and Heineken, or Heineken and um, uh, Lagunitas and stuff like that going on. Um, Ballast Point, right? Yeah. <laughs> I don't uh, think I could turn down a billion either. Yeah. No yeah. matter how much fun I was having. Um, how do you, I mean, you have a unique perspective because you're trying to distribute these, these uh, beers to, uh, to to places to get them shelf coverage how has that has any of that changed with the more recent acquisitions there's a netflix documentary and i know you guys are going to know what it is it's about craft beer and it's the girl who worked for fat tire owns fat uh, i can't think of it now. i haven't seen this i, I don't one. know yeah Man. Um, kim and jordan's the one of the owners of fat tire she uh or new belgium i'll have to look it up but anyways they talk about how much how money driven it is and you know, I haven't seen that yet. I mean, people know good beer and they mm-hmm. want good beer. It's like running a restaurant. You yeah. you want to have good food. If I come in and give you a crappy meal and say, I'm going to pay you $100 to serve this meal, as a restaurant owner, you just want good food out there. Right. Mm-hmm. You know, whether you're getting jackets or money or stealer tickets to put that beer in there, to run a successful bar, you want to have good product. And that's why I say, I just want to bring in good beer that sells itself. That and sense. that as a craft beer drinker, yeah. you say... This is good stuff. So the argument that that um, I tend to be on the more pragmatic side of the uh, of, of the buying stuff so that that this is you know it's a capitalist system. This is what's going to happen when right. things get popular enough. Other people are going to start spending money to make this bigger, and actually that's a good thing because it means that things are going to grow. Right. Uh, the flip side is that people you know grew up at a time when macro really dominated and they are aware of and have heard stories and even have uh, concrete evidence of places with money pushing aside smaller uh, beer selection on shelves and stuff like that. So I guess, that I mean, you've only been doing it for this year, so you, you, know, you can't tell the long-term, the right. really long-term trend. But I guess the question is, does have you noticed anything like that? At least anecdotally, is there experience with that sort of thing? Not yet, but I think again, as a business, you're gonna you're going to want to stock what sells. So we've made a big kind of grassroots promotional push in terms of getting the beer in front of people. Mm-hmm. If anybody sees me at a bar, they know that I'll buy them a beer. If you see me out, I'll buy you one of our beers. And uh, I'm a big believer that once you taste our stuff, not that there's not other good beer in the market, but that you'll come back to it. And I think that is pretty much a you know solves that problem. Um, we've had a lot of places that have gotten calls that have called us that have gotten calls asking for our stuff and you know it's good beer I mean I'm sure that that's going to come into play at some level but I would think that do you have a, a policy or anything or or 
uh, desire, like old beer. Now, hopefully the beer all sells before it gets yeah, old. Yeah, no, no, no. We've, like, how do you guys handle old beer? So we've, it's a sad, sad day, but we've definitely poured some kegs down the drain because they were too old. Um, again, a lot of breweries or some breweries took a big chance on us. And, um, you know, if that's the first time you've tried a brewery and it's old, you're not going to come yeah. back to it. And if it's the first time you've tried beer, craft beer and it's old and it's not good, you're not going to come back to it. So we, we make a big effort to keep fresh stuff on the shelves and, have you had to rehabilitate any images? Like, for example, until recently, the only evil twin in the market was smuggled across, you know, from Philly and may have been old and not the freshest evil twin. And now you're bringing in fresh evil twin. Have you had you anyone got some from Ohio, right? From VE or something? Well, I'm, but I'm just saying people who in Pittsburgh, right, who are used to, who have seen evil twin around might have got old evil tw- i'm just i'm using no, them no, as an example heard right i've heard this so like have you had to do any like rehabilitation saying like hey we're the primary distributor for this area you know this isn't smuggled beer anymore smuggles a bad word because it's no, perfect, no, it perfectly is. legal what they're doing I, don't, I thought we said it wasn't to bring it across state lines no 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 bring it from philly to pittsburgh <laughs> oh, when, okay. yeah, when I mean, shangi or whoever's only yeah. a philly area wholesaler i've heard the right. comments but i it hasn't gotten to the point where it's been a rehabilitation effort again okay. i think it's been good fresh beer, and it's yeah. it's really good product. And the first right. time people try, I, I'm more so worried about like someone sees another evil twin on the shelf. I'm like, oh, that's probably no, I, no. I've heard that comment, but never. I don't think it's been a big enough groundswell yeah, where okay. we had to rehabilitate anything. But I've heard the comment. For it's sure. only a few really hardcore. I, 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 yeah, I think the, yeah, that's that's the issue is that you're dealing with a few people who were really into it for a while and have been looking for it versus the really the groundswell now of of attention that craft beer has in the market, which is way different. I've seen it so, at a couple of accounts. I've so, seen, I've gone into accounts that still have evil twin that I've never brought in. So <laughs> that's selling our evil twin next to it. So I'm not going to name any names, but okay. Yeah. What about, okay. So what about tap lines? Um, okay. So tap lines, cold storage. Uh, it's like, you're never going to get rid of it. We are, as selective as we can be, and we try and mention it to people. Same with pricing. That's kind mm-hmm. of a uh, a weird gray area because as a business owner, I would never tell you how to run your business, but if stuff – and it, it hasn't been a huge problem for us, but if stuff's overpriced or tastes like crap or, mm-hmm. you know, it doesn't represent our product well. So I think we just organically don't do as much with those places. They still get some beer, but we don't make as, as big an effort there. You you mentioned service was a big part of what you do. You're representing smaller breweries that probably none of them have a, a Pennsylvania or Western Pennsylvania sales rep. Right. So I'm guessing you're doing a lot of repping for these breweries and, and giving them feedback about the market and things like that as well? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, that is part of it. Um, and again, we give out some swag, but I think just getting the beer in front of people. Mm-hmm. I love to take our accounts cold beer on a Friday. Like, we'll just mm-hmm. all drive around and give out cold beer because... I had someone come up to you the other day like, oh, my God, Molotov Light is incredible. It is. And I don't, you know, not every beer that we sell is incredible, so I don't say that about all mm-hmm. of them. But, you know, if you can get the beer in front of people and, you know, deliver it at, at 8.30 on a Thursday night so that it's same day, you know, right. as you helped can it, little things like that I think yeah. are going to make the difference. Cool. And the breweries right. deserve it. You know, it's good beer. Frontside Lipsaw is a great beer. Oh, absolutely. Um, Ready to move on to the last beer? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. So another question I have is regarding market saturation. We're very I, low here. You think so? Yeah, I do. That's part of why I think we went into it. Why did, we did go into it is as compared to a place like Asheville, very low. Mm. So okay, I can see that. Right? Yeah, because I mean, 
2006 when we started, there were maybe 300 breweries in the country. Right. And now we're probably past 5,000 at this point. And there's new ones opening up every day. I don't look at it as a zero-sum game. Um, I'm very complimentary of... I mean, obviously, at a certain point, we're trying to take taps and, and shelf space from other breweries. Mm-hmm. But um, I look at it almost as we're just growing the craft beer segment of the market so that hopefully more and more people are coming to craft beer. And I think people have gotten a lot more knowledgeable about what they eat and the food market has, you know, there's a lot more good restaurants and people pay attention to what they eat. And I think craft beer has kind of gone side by side with that where people are willing to pay a little bit more to drink something really good and enjoy it. And yeah, you're still getting buzzed off of it. But, you know, if you can have one or two really good beers, people are paying a lot more attention to what they drink. And I think it's just going to continue to grow. I mean, I, I feel like it's been growing for a while. And at some point, particularly in markets, like you said, like Asheville or like Portland, you know, and I've been to Seattle and, uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, it's, there, there's a lot and, and it's, it's very fun to, to go to those markets, but I also look around and I see what happens to bubbles like this. They, they inevitably collapse. Uh, and you know, you, you, you think about how many other types of phones there were and now we have iPhones and Androids. Right. And really we have Apple and Samsung most for the most part. There are a couple other players, but those are the big guys. Uh, and you expect that kind of thing, that kind of consolidation to eventually happen. So it's just a question of when the hammer drops. That's a portion of the reason of why we've been so selective with the good beer because I think really good beer will survive that bubble. Maybe there's a lot of really good local breweries, but some are better than others. And not even locally, but just in general, a lot of people have opened breweries. And some are really good, and mm-hmm. some are just kind of... Yeah. And I think when that bubble, if or when that bubble bursts, that a lot of those average things will fall off. But I want to make sure that we keep brands around it, even and if it, the bubble bursts. Yeah. I mean, and it does mean that you're going to lose some good ones, too. Right. I mean, it's just, you know, good kind right. of territory. Yeah, but I think... like yeah, I mean, any, there can be great breweries that are not well run, right? Because right? no, they just... Because they love the beer too much and aren't business people. Or, or just don't have the right circumstances in yeah, which they, yeah. you know, they can survive. And that's a, another big thing that I think we've discovered is uh, even though it's really good beer, when you're dealing with breweries, you yeah. can tell which ones are well-run and, and have the room to grow and are going to grow mm-hmm. and some that aren't. I haven't mm-hmm. had a bad beer from Brew Gentlemen, and I don't know how they would survive if the market were to go down. Oh, they would survive. You think so? Yeah. I th- they're very... I've I know Matt and he's very intelligent business wise and I think that I mean they may take a hit um, but I think that, I mean it's good beer you know people it's like again it's like good food yeah you know um, but it is an interesting I've point I've, good restaurants that have you know gone I know I just, I was just thinking about that yeah I mean it is an interesting uh, milkman closed a while back to yeah they never really got started though no i know but i think it's like you said you see that restaurant that closed i think as we move forward there's going to be those sad cases and i don't think brew gentleman will be one of them but there are going to be and just an example i mean i mean i'm with you i mean brew gentleman is such a good local brewery and getting national renown that uh you know they should be able to survive now i could definitely 
And the thing about the Pittsburgh breweries, I, I, I worry more about... They can see a circumstance where they're all the way out in Pratic. They're, <laughs> yeah. I think a lot of the... I like a lot of the local breweries. Grist House, Brew Gentleman, Dry Log. I worry more about maybe uh, smaller breweries that are casting a wide net, right? Mm-hmm. Because the Pittsburgh breweries are all about growler fills, on-premise, local type thing. And I think those are the kind of breweries that would stand the contraction better than... Like a roundabout? But, well, no, I think they fit in the mold, too. Better than somebody that is marketing the beer to the whole state, doing lots of package, right? Where there's not that... All these breweries, that all the Pittsburgh breweries I can think of have these like personal connections with the people, mm-hmm. right? They're not just throwing stuff out on shelves in a wide region. And I think the breweries that are doing those kinds of things are the ones that are going to get hit, right? Because their connection with the customer is just shelf space, right? And shelf space gets harder and harder to find and it's more crowded. And you got the Alcopops that are taking huge swaths out of shelf space. I wanted to ask you about Alcopops, like, you know, root beers and cream sodas and things like that. It seems like, in my opinion, it's a, it's a big, they're getting a disproportionately large, Shelf space, and it's cutting out of the craft beer. They're getting a proportionally large shelf space, I think. I think it's... But, okay, so the, 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 the people that are converting to drinking these Alcopops, the shelf space isn't being converted from what they used to drink. It's being converted from craft beer. That's how I see it. No, see, I see it as... I'm, wine worries me more than... Than big beer does. So if you're drinking beer, I feel confident that I can get you to drink our good beer. Okay. You know, even if you're drinking Bud Light or you're drinking, you know, I hang out with girls all the time that I don't drink beer. You give them a breaking bud. Oh, it's pretty good. Now the people that worry me are wine because wine's doing really well. Okay. Um, I would also say that I think that not that they should go statewide, but some of the local breweries might be dragging their feet a little. And I know I'm biased because I'm a wholesaler, and if they don't package, I can't sell them. But um, I think Brew, like Brew Gentleman, Grist House, like Voodoo just started canning. Mm-hmm. I know it's not like mass distributed, but right. I love Voodoo's beer. Get it out there. Even if it's just in Pittsburgh, get it in cans. Yeah. You know. No, I, I mean, I, I think you're right. I'm looking – I was thinking about that just a little bit ago about like – we got a bunch of breweries doing a much the same thing, really catering to an ultra local audience, right? Yeah. Very, and when who's going to break out and do? There's that? that opportunity there, and I think a lot of them have dragged their feet not to be that first mover. If you go into a giant eagle right now, the, the local selection is not what it should be. Yeah, yeah. I mean, Brew Gentlemen's an example. They have the cachet that like a lot of the brands that you're bringing in have yeah in other parts yeah, of the yeah. country so i mean they're the ones that are primed to really yeah to do it it seems mm-hmm. we haven't even discussed this beer yet this is berry rye from uh perennial artisan ales uh 8.2 percent dark rye ale fermented on local blackberries um yeah, it's it an is, interesting one yeah it's, it's a hard it, one i've been sipping it here and it's yeah. a hard one to describe it's it's kind of brownish i mean yeah it doesn't really have i mean I was thinking like purplish, but no, it doesn't really have purple. It's kind of a cola color. Yeah. But it it smells... The aroma has a little bit of a... It (laughs) smells purple. See, I think the aroma has kind of uh, a barley wine type character to it. You know, it has this big, rich... It smells like plums, really. It smells plums and prunes. Okay. We started out really well in the tasting stuff, and now he's saying it smells purple. So we're kind of sliding. (laughs) No, no, no. no. That's that's normal. (laughs) That's normal with Greg. Yeah, he he likes... um, 
I like the abstract uh, stuff. That's good, yeah. yeah. Harder to say you're wrong, too. <laughs> <laughs> no, it's more, it smells more blue. <laughs> no, for me, this one, like, you know, the, the benchmark that I'm going to start with is kind of barley wine. It has this big, malty, um, caramelly, toffee-type aroma. And I'm getting some kind of berry thing on top of it maybe i because i read the label and it says blackberries and maybe it really is more plum like greg said but for me i'm smelling something that's kind of berry like and then we get in the flavor there's a, there's a tartness from the berries um it doesn't have a full body like a barley wine i think i'm getting a little bit of spice from the rye the the tartness from the berries and the kind of threw me off i'm like i was wondering if this is this uh, lightly soured beer or whatnot i'm it's not but the tartness from the berries kind of give you that impression mm-hmm. yeah it's got some of the barley wine characteristics, but it's not overly boozy, which is nice. Mm-hmm. I'm wondering if it's more fitting to, to call it closer to an old ale than a barley wine, just be, just because some of the notes that you're getting. Now, it doesn't have the big, um, you know, sweet, pruny notes and the, the, those yeah, deep. Yeah, I mean, I chose barley notes. wine when I was describing it as opposed to old ale because it doesn't quite have that sherry, mm-hmm. um, lightly oxidized type flavors to it. It has this more long boil, melanoidin formation type okay. thing, like, like you know, like. But I still don't see it. It's not anywhere near as sweet as barley wine. So that's why, like, when you when I think barley wine, I think sweet, and this is the taste profile of barley wine is completely different to me. Mm-hmm. And so the tartness makes this not feel like a barley wine at all. Whereas an old ale has some of those fruity characters that I can at least associate with this. I think we're just going to disagree. I was hoping you guys would get into it at some point. This is good. (laughs) I think, I I mean, I'm not going to say, you know, I hear what you said. I -hmm. I, I disagree. I, I, you know, but we're really splitting hairs kind of right. Because old era barley wine, people are like, what the F's the difference? (laughs) True. The this is a great drinker. I I I think there's enough yeah. berry and tartness in there, and um, it's light enough also, so it doesn't it doesn't feel like it's like super thick and it feels like it's sort of overpowering. So it feels like you can drink more of it than if it were a really like a thick like porterish type thing, or or if it had a lot of that um, barley wine or old ale uh, viscosity to it. And the overall impression of this beer is. It's different. It's it's not like a lot of things I've drank. You know, this one's kind of standing apart as being a more novel experience. Mm-hmm. You know, it, it just everything they put in there. It just I can't think of another beer that's even similar to this. Really, it's very yeah. It, it's unique, and and one of the things that we you know often talk about is how <laughs> doing the show often you don't get a lot of unique experiences, and and. This is different. This is this is a, a different type of beer that I'm glad to have, to have tried. Super drinkable. You get in trouble with this one. Oh yeah, absolutely. <laughs> oh, we get to finish it up in the post show. Interesting. All right. Well, it's ranking time. All right. Do you want to go first? Do I want to go first? Sure, I'll go first. Yeah, give me those labels. <laughs> It's going to be interesting. Hmm. How does this go? So in last place, I'm going to put the Jack's Abbey. I I feel like there was, like I said, part of it was the way that we drank it. I think that if we we had it at a lower temperature, it would have been a much 
more drinkable beer. They would have been more. Um, yeah, I think it's. I agree with you. You know, sometimes beers under our microscope kind of don't pass muster compared right. to the rest of the beers, but it's a perfectly fine beer, and I think that's where this one falls. I think, and um, I, I hope you won't hate me for this, Shane, but I think no, I'm going to put fine. the Pizza Boy in, in, in fourth place. I, I feel like um, I'm not as loving as Simcoe flavor as other people, and uh, I, I think it did a, a, a good job of presenting itself, and it wasn't overly bitter, like I can get, and, and overly <clears throat> sulfury, like some of these, uh, like, like some of these Simcoe beers can get. But I still think that the other beers uh, give were giving more things that I appreciated. So I'm going to uh, put that in uh, fourth place. Then it's, it's hard for me because I really did like the Avery a lot. Uh, and the Berry Rye was unique, and that's really good. The idea was well-rounded. So <laughs> it, it, it's... It's tough. I'm just going to go with my gut here. I'm going to put the uh, St. Potiphar's in third place. Um, I just feel like uh, it did live up to its name. Uh, it was Real Red. It had some interesting sort of uh, perhaps Rye character to go with uh, with that hoppiness. Um, and then I'm going to put the Berry Rye in second, but the Avery in first. I, I just feel like I like that sweetness to start oh, off okay. the, the, the top of the show. Uh, and... For whatever reason, that 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 kept staying up there, even though I think this is really unique. Um, I really would recommend the Avery, but I think it's probably more available to people, uh, and I think it was really really good. Okay, I'm going to agree with you with the Jack's Abbey uh, in last place. Like I already interjected myself when you're during your review, but I think it's a fine beer. I just think you know when we're putting it under the CBR microscope and tearing it apart, you know, it just didn't stand up to the rest of them. Um, what I did like about it, um, it had a lot of hop flavor to it. I, I kind of think where the, the malt was kind of caramel maltish, but then like the yeast was lagered and like not having that estuary profile. It felt like it felt, um, out of tune, Mm -hmm. um, where, you know, maybe just because we're used to a certain flavor profile, with all those ingredients in the yeast esters being, you know, important part of that tuning it. In fourth place, it's tough. I liked all the rest of the beers quite a bit. I'm going to put the Ale of the Chief in fourth place. I think maybe because it finished so bitter, um, you know, there's such a big bitterness there. Uh, other than that, I thought I enjoyed it. Um, it's a long time ago. I'm trying to kind of forget <laughs> everything that that beer tasted like. The third place. I wish I could rank this one higher. Uh, I, you know, I really thought the St. Boniface had some neat things going on in there with the uh, the kind of bubblegummy and banana type flavors and the steel. Even though you know, I said it kind of had that kind of blood type flavor. It was an interesting like nuance to it. And I liked what was going on in the beer, but the other two beers just surpassed it. I'm going to put the um, Perennial, the Berry Rye, in second place. Uh, Loving this beer. Very unique. Uh, Very, very unique. Not just a little bit unique, but very unique. (laughs) Because there's degrees of uniqueness. (laughs) Um, It's like all new. 
<laughs> exactly. <laughs> I, I really th- just thought it was really fascinating how it had that barley wine type character slash old ale type character with the rye, the berries. Immensely drinkable. You can drink more of this on the post show. Yes, I will definitely drink more of this. And, you know, not just because Shane's sitting here to my right, but um, <laughs> the fresh hop on that pizza boy, I thought it was delicious. I I loved every every sip of it. You know, the super fresh green I, double IPA. I, I told Shane earlier, you know, I'm a, I'm a true hop head again with all these new innovations in hopping. And this one was lived up to my expectations because I've had some really good things from Pizza Boy. Yeah, we talked about it before the show, of course, that Shane, you don't have to rank if you don't want to. You are allowed oh, no, to. I can. You I'm can sure mention I'm... things you liked if you don't want to, you know, oh, no, I can rank pick them. a last pace, place beer or anything like that. No, no, it's fine. Uh, I've probably angered enough people already, so. Uh, I would probably put the St. Boniface in fifth. All right. By the way, the interesting thing is I think that beer is such a subjective thing. It's like I could like spaghetti yeah. and you don't. Yeah. Um, but, it, I mean, all these were good beers. So we were telling you about that um, IPA that was almost two years old. Yeah. Greg ranked it number one. Yeah. That's... So while it didn't taste like an IPA, it had some really neat things going on in it. Yeah. I've had some people try beers that were probably three and a half months old, four months old, which I'm kind of ashamed of that we distribute. And they've texted me and said, this is the best beer I've ever had. So it's it, just this, so... this was an IPA that tasted wordy. It had this. It had the the taste like when you go into a brewery and you smell that sort of woody mm-hmm. character, and it was unique. And I hadn't really had that before. And while it wasn't, it didn't have a fresh hop thing going on. <laughs> that wordy character, I loved it, and I never had gotten that before, like that strongly. And so I, I just loved what was coming out. I of think it. that's what makes it so fun, though, is you yeah. can think one thing and you think yeah, absolutely. Thing. Um, I would probably put the Jack's Abbey in fourth, although I did think it was a really good beer. Super drinkable. Um, the Berry Rye in third, although it was super unique and, again, could get you in trouble because it's really drinkable for what it is. Um, I, I mean, I'll, uh, just to avoid bias, I'll put Pete's Boy in second, but I really like the uh, Ale to the Chief. For a pale ale at 8.1, some really nice malt characteristics. Kind of syrupy as it goes down. Super drinkable. Just really good for a pale ale. You don't expect that. Yeah, when yeah. I heard pale ale, you don't expect that. So I yeah, thought absolutely. it was really good. So I'm the wrong one tonight. <laughs> <laughs> you're, you're the one who's not uh, who's out of balance. <laughs> All right. Thanks, Shane, for coming. We really appreciate it. Yeah, thanks for having me. It was fun. Uh, Craft Beer Radio is released under the Creative Commons license. You can visit craftbeerradio.com for more information. If you want to email us, you can hit us up at beer at craftbeerradio.com. On Twitter, I'm at Jeff Bear. At CBR Greg. What's your Twitter? At Shane Loman. At Shane Loman. And and then your companies. What's the website? www.steelcitybeerwholesalers.com. Email us, Twitter message me. If you have any beers you want to bring to the area, any comments, anything. Feel free to reach out. We're super accessible. Awesome. Um, yeah, like I said, I'm glad you came. Got some great insight into... We've always sat on the consumer side of the thing, right? And maybe the media side a little <laughs> bit. But we've never been in the business side of, of craft beer. So it's great getting some insights from you. Thank you so much. Yeah, no problem. Thank you.